Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today's show number 38, and I have the wonderful Carolyn Ladowski joining me today to discuss MTHFR, but we cover so many other things in this chat. So if you don't know whether you do or don't have a variant of the NTHFR gene, that is absolutely fine. We talk about a whole bunch of stuff in this podcast and it's really enlightening. But the chances are you do and someone in your family does. And uh, I myself am homozygous for the C667, C77, I always forget. And that has a huge implication on folic acid metabolism, the synthetic folic acid means my body doesn't do so well at doing that. So there's a whole bunch of other protocols and lifestyle protocols that's attached to that homozygous result. So sometimes knowing a little bit about your genes can be a really handy thing if you've hit a stumbling block with your health, you feel like you're not improving, doing all the right things in inverted commas, and uh, and it can really help to, to have a look at all this. You know, I'm a huge proponent for the spiritual side of things, maintaining positive outlook, etc not attaching yourself to outcomes based on any tests you get done being in inverted commas the answer but uh, at the same time they can be really really helpful so I know today's show will be helpful to many of you. Now, we have a beautiful show sponsor with us today again for the second week in a row, Moonbird Designs. And uh, I talked a little bit about Rachel Pines, the founder last week and her commitment. Uh, But I think I might just ask you the question to ask yourselves, to ask me, why wear GOTS certified organic clothing? And, you know, a lot of people just haven't really looked into clothes yet or how they're made. We're trained to look for a smart bargain with clothes, but we're not really trained to look for where it comes from, how it's made, the condition of the factory, the condition of the lives of the people who make our clothes, the implication on the environment with dyes and pesticides, etc. So GOT certification is one of the most stringent uh, textile certifications in the world. And by buying a GOT certified uh, organic item, A, you know it's organic and no pesticides have been used. And when no pesticides are used, you're not compromising farmer health. You're not compromising the bee population, if there's one around that area. You're not compromising the soil. Over time, pesticides obviously dramatically shift the makeup of soil, um, removing really useful bacteria and all sorts of things, as as well as then um, having a flow-on effect for the amount of minerals and things you find in there. So it's really important to maintain soil health and pesticide-free is a brilliant way to do that. Uh, You're also ensuring the item comes from fair trade practice. So the factory workers, the farmers, everybody's getting paid a fair wage along the production steps. You're also ensuring that environmentally friendly dyes are used, which means no poisoning of the water supply in local communities where the factories are producing the clothes. And you're often also choosing to back something that's climate friendly, so meaning... um, that they are totally tongue-tied. They carbon offset. They offset their carbon miles. Yes, that's what they do. Gosh, I do it for every Qantas flight. You reckon that I would actually remember how to say that. Um, and and that's a wonderful thing that uh, Moonbird are actually currently just putting the very last feather in their cap on and they do some wonderful charity charitable giving to women's shelters throughout Sydney, ensuring that women are well clothed and feel safe and gorgeous and loved with every purchase that we make. So I love backing a business like that. And you've seen me uh, feature many of them either as interviews where we talk to the founder or as show supporters. And it just warms my heart to know how many more people are joining the cause each day to either change an existing business towards being more sustainable, more loving towards community um, and more mindful of their social impact. But also all the new businesses starting because smart people are just saying, you know what, I don't see it out there and I'm going to create it. And uh, and that's always just such a beautiful thing. So remember your code, it's LOWTOXMAY. You're getting $20 off over $100 p- purchases 
And a very cool thing about this for all our international listeners as well as our Aussie listeners is shipping is free over $100, not just in Australia but anywhere in the world. So anyone and everyone can make the most of this fabulous uh, and generous offer. Thank you, Rachel and team. Now let's kick into today's show. Carolyn Ladowski is a wealth of knowledge and she is someone who is so passionate about bringing the public education where, you know, we even talk about how to safely bypass practitioner advice one-on-one if that's something you really just can't afford right now, but you want to make steps towards feeling better. And I think that's just a, a really wonderful thing. It can be done safely. And we discuss a few parameters there as well, because it's something I'm very conscious of. I'm always saying, nope, go see a naturopath. I'm not going to diagnose or treat or cure. I'm a health coach, not a, a qualified practitioner. Plus, I really don't believe that online I can learn everything I need to learn about someone in a chat group. But uh, there are some incredible online learning resources that Carolyn has put together for people who do have a positive result uh, through their MTHFR test and you can either get tested through there or there's the really great value um, swab test that you can get done through Nutripath, which I think is only $50. Because I'm homozygous, it's something I'm now going to test my son for just to make sure that I support him to have the best health he can as he grows. If he does have a homozygous result too, imagine if I had known this when I was a child. We talk a little bit about testing and support and ways to navigate the best health plan possible for people who have already got their result. But we also talk about why it's really important to get tested and talk about preconception phase as well. And I've got a really exciting preconception resource coming for you on the site. We're just building a new course platform as I speak, and it'll just be a really fantastic resource to help anyone who's at that stage. But MTHFR testing is certainly something I recommend because it um, it is just so important for women and men who are going to be having a baby to know whether they're able to process that folic acid your doctor has probably given you because you're getting ready to conceive. So enjoy today's episode. It's really informative. It's one of those get out the notepad and take notes ones if this is a topic really pertinent to you. And as I said, if you don't know your result, hopefully by the end of this show, you'll know based on some of the symptoms and um, experiences people have who do test positive, whether or not that might be a test you want to look into. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed my chat with Carolyn. Hello, Carolyn. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you, Alex. It's great to be here. Now, let's just start with, and I'm always keen to see how people's journeys take them where they go down their career path. I've had some twists and turns myself. Were you always someone who thought as soon as you knew what naturopathy was, that that was how it was going to be your preferred way of helping people? Or did you take some time to kind of find it? No, it was it was sort of the opposite. Well, I guess it was very, my mum was very influential on this because, you know, she was very much a greenie when we were growing up and anything that we had was baked by her at home. We never, ever had chocolate or sweets or crappy food. You know, we were, we were brought up with going to naturopaths. We hardly ever went to doctors. And so, you know, for me, it was always a way of life. But when I I did a Bachelor of Economics at Sydney Uni and thought, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do now? And I ended up going into advertising and then I went to event management. And then I was talking to a girlfriend, you know, just one night at dinner and she was doing a naturopathy course. And I said, oh, I've always wanted to do that. I would love to do it. And she said, well, why don't you? Why don't you just book in? So I did. I studied for eight years while I was running my own event management company, raising two kids, had a husband, and I was flying all over the countryside doing all the event management work for Westpac. And so I was crazy. But oh, gosh. It was, yeah, I just, it was just something that I really wanted to do. And then when I got into it, it was like, I wish I'd done this earlier. Yeah. But then don't you find sometimes when you do things a little bit later that you're bringing transferable skills into that that life that maybe, you know what I mean? I often find, especially with healing arts, um, creative arts, having strong economic foundations and having studied and and worked 
in workplaces and seeing real people interacting rather than jumping straight into the naturopathic bubble is probably going to mean it's probably why you're so good at what you do. Oh, I agree 100% because I think one of the things that unfortunately naturopaths lack um, a lot of the time are business skills because they've, they've just not given any opportunity to really understand the corporate environment. And so coming from a corporate environment, that is always my number one philosophy with with everything I do and my clinic and my staff and you be, you know, 100% professional. The patient or the customer always comes first. If you do something, you do it well, you you know your stuff. I mean, yes, yeah, so it really does drive everything I do. Mm. I come from it from a corporate perspective, I guess. Yeah, it's it's just interesting how people find their careers and I, I love the order that things take place in is often just the order it was meant to be, right? Yep, mm. right. So you're you're plodding along, helping people, feeling fantastic that you've actually jumped into the career path that you always wanted. When did you find a specific interest in genetics? Well, it was MTHFR gene that really got me started. Mm. So I really like to analyse bloods and I, I did a lot of, I guess, self-study on how do I really interpret bloods better than anyone else? How do I look into the nuances of bloods and understand what they're telling me? So I did a lot of research and I kept getting, whenever I checked red blood cell folate, I would get this asterisk on half the people, which meant it was too high. Mm. And so I rang the lab and I said, look, what's this asterisk mean? You know, it's, it's obviously high folate, but what's the significance? And they said, oh, they're obviously eating a lot of leafy green vegetables. <laughs> and I thought, oh, what rubbish. I mean, that's definitely not the case. And so I said, well, what are you actually testing? Are you testing folic acid? Are you testing tetrahydrofolate, 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate? what are you actually testing? And all they could tell me was folate derivatives, which meant nothing. I, you know, it just, anyway, I rang professors, I spoke to people, I Googled and I could not find the answer, which drove me nuts. And how long ago was this? Oh, it was about eight, nine years ago. Wow. How far we've come in such a short time. I know. And I was sitting at a conference in Melbourne and I just happened this presenter a doctor just happened to say the mthfr gene is related to high red cell folate and i went what oh my god so i made a beeline for her and i said what is this mthfr and she said well it's a gene that affects folate metabolism where do i find information and she said look you're going to have to just google go through the studies pubmed whatever so i did and i became so obsessed by this gene I would sit till four o'clock in the morning reading every research paper, trying to understand how it connected with methylation and all the cycles. My husband would say to me, what is going on? (laughs) And so when I finally decided, right, that's it, and I started to improve people's folate and I got some of the most amazing results. And I came home and I said to him, I'm changing my business it's going to be called MTHFR Support Australia. And he said, are you nuts? I said, <laughs> no one's going to know what that is. It's too niche. It's ridiculous. Just That's a silly idea. And I said, no, I feel so strongly about this, I'm going to do it. And literally overnight, out of the woodwork, came people who had already knew about the gene and wanted information. Right. So it was quite phenomenal. And so when you say you worked and you improved people's folate what what do you mean by that so I kept thinking all right if the folate is high what is going on here Mm. because they they presented with either miscarriages anxiety depression chemical sensitivity real problems with you know just thought processes chronic fatigue and I'm thinking these patients you know there's something going on why would they be so affected by this folate? So when I finally came to the conclusion that what was actually being tested was more folic acid being high, because I've since found research that suggests that 
5-methyltetrahydrofolate cannot get too high in the blood because right. it is metabolized. So mm. I thought, okay, so here they are taking a synthetic folate, folic acid. It's not being absorbed. It's actually inhibiting their natural folate. So that's why we're seeing this increase. Mm. Therefore, their real folate, their, their important methylfolate that goes on and supports you know, DNA and brain function and proteins and detoxification, etc., is being affected and it's too low. So I then worked with, okay, how do I improve these pathways? How do I ensure that they're getting the active folate instead of this crappy synthetic fol- folic acid? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's so funny. I um, will actually, before I say what I was just about to say, can you please explain to me um, for everybody, because not everybody out there is going to understand, when you get your MTFHR gene test done, which is super easy, you can do a pinprick and with kids, you can do like a little saliva swab, there's many ways to do it. You get your results and your most many people are going to show either heterozygous or homozygous. Could mm-hmm. you just explain in a way that people are going to understand what that actually means? Yes. So you have two copies of every gene from your parents. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the 677T, um, you will have two copies from mum and two copies from dad. You will randomly get one copy from each parent. We don't know which one, but you'll get one. So let's say mum has two copies of the MTHFR, so she's homozygous, Mm -hmm. and dad has one. So that pairing, you will randomly get either the bad from mum and the bad from dad, which Mm -hmm. makes you homozygous because homozygous means that you got the mutation from mum and dad, or you can get the pairing of the bad mutation from mum and nothing from dad. So you'll be heterozygous and that means one copy from mum or dad. So only slightly dodgy. Yes. And so, so it's this pairing and this random selection that then determines whether you're homozygous or heterozygous. Mm -hmm. So homo means the same. It means you got the same mutation from your mum and your dad. Heterozygous means one or, or just a one copy from mum or dad. Yeah. Now, folate is really important to preconception care and right through pregnancy. And I remember being at that stage in my life and being congratulated for my very high folate result in my blood test. Mm. Only last year to have found out I was homozygous. Thanks, mum. Thanks, dad, for the double dodgy in the 667 and, uh, I mean, I always thought my son was meant to be born. I always had this sensation that I was going to have a Sebastian. I had no other feeling of any other child, and I have an only child in my life, and it was going to be a boy. And and I still remember the day that I ensured my husband would be home, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. because I just was going to make a baby that day. So there was something incredibly special about this uh, boy being born to me from a from a gut feeling sense, like totally woo-woo and, and spiritual and nothing to do with science. So what was really interesting to me when I then realised I was homozygous and what some of the risk factors were, I was like, wow, he really was meant to be born because statistically I should have had a couple of miscarriages before we, we hit a home run. Or And interestingly, he had a minor hole in his heart when he was born Mm-hmm. which is one of the risk factors. And we had a single umbilical artery, which is another huge risk factor. Correct. And so I wonder, had I been able to go back in time, do that test and correct my folate, had would my chances for a slightly smoother running pregnancy have been greater? And look, I believe they would have been. And I think in the research that I've now done, which is exactly why I've got you on the show, Carolyn, I just think it's one of the most important tests we can do in the preconception phase. In fact, for any child, because, you know, it's so easy to do and and it can really help us live our best lives to know what our status is. Can you comment on that? I'd love to know what you think. Well, 100% I agree. I've spent two years focusing on nothing but 
preconception and pregnancy. And mm. I have written a course, which is on our website, for anyone anywhere in the world, because we get contacted from people in um, Europe, in the Middle East, who have this gene, but they've got no resources, they've got no information, they've got no product, and they're having multiple miscarriages or they're having children with Down syndrome. And so I wrote a course that was purely online that allow would allow anyone anywhere in the world to be able to follow it to work out what they needed to do preconceptually mm. because I think this is the biggest single factor we have in miscarriage. Um, you know, oh, sorry, I've got this person, these blasted whiffer snippers. I hope you can Oh, gosh, that. don't we all? Oh, yeah. so <laughs> intrusive. I absolutely hate it. Hang on, I'm just going to close the window. Yeah, go for it. I think... I think it's crazy that we don't scream from the rooftops that you have to check for the MTHFR gene when you are considering preconception. Mm. Because you're right, all those midline defects, whether we're talking about cleft lip, cleft palate, spina bifida, hole in the heart, problems with the placenta, yes, absolutely, 100%. And you know, I think you, you talk about, you know, you were lucky to have a child that didn't have further issues. But at the end of the day, your environment really obviously was very good. Yes, it was. Yeah. That stopped you, um, that gene expressing. And what we now know is, yes, we can't do anything about our DNA. But what we certainly do know is that epigenetically, our environment can cause further mutations from an epigenetic point of view, that put tags and mutations on our genes. So our environment is absolutely key. So if you can say to a woman going into preconception, you need four months to optimise your folate levels, you have to make sure that your stress is under control, that your diet is good, that your partner is also being assessed. Because don't forget, DNA comes yeah. from mum and dad. Too many people Absolutely. forget that or don't consider that. But the biggest risk to a child is the child being homozygous. So if mum is heterozygous and dad is also heterozygous, you have a chance of a homozygous baby. Mm. And they are the ones that are most at risk when folate levels are low in mum and dad. Mm. But if you minimise and get rid of that risk by optimising folate levels, the risk is non-existent. Yeah. So what really makes me cranky is we're seeing women that have come in, they've had five, six, seven, eight miscarriages, and no one along the way, not in any of the fertility clinics, no one is saying we should be checking for MTHFR. So I think it's up to the likes of you and I to scream it from the rooftops and say, hey, check for this gene. Yeah, absolutely. Said, it's very easy to do. We have both the kits on our website, mthvarsupport.com.au, they can just go in, buy it, do the test at home. They don't even have to go to the doctor. Mm. So, yes, I think anyone in that preconception space absolutely needs to ensure that they're checking for it. Interesting, yeah. I also think it's really important in anxiety and depression. How many people are we now seeing who have, and young kids, that have anxiety and depression. And it's becoming, it's an epidemic. We have got the highest suicide rates. And, you know, I know it's not all to do about folate, but I actually have a theory that we've got a more toxic environment. So that environmental aspect on our epigenetics and on our genes is definitely having an effect. Yeah. We have got more packaged foods and more foods containing folic acid that are actually putting pressure on our folate pathways, which I think is a problem. And I think we've also got a lot more stress, and stress chews up this good folate more than anything else. So we really do need to be looking at this from a multifactorial issue, but I do think that there are many factors that are influencing the amount of anxiety and depression we have now. Yeah, absolutely. And why not check for something that's so simple to add to the piece of the puzzle in case it's a really big piece of the puzzle for you? Correct. Mm. So why would someone test just the MTFHR gene, uh, Carolyn? Like, are there not other SNPs that come into play? You know, like I, I often think 
you know, are we going too too detailed into one area when there might be other uh, factors from other genes that give us a bigger part of the picture? I'd love to know what you think about that and what you do in your clinic. Okay, that's a good question. And I think the reason that MTHFR is so important, uh, obviously there are so many other genes that Um, we refer to when we look at what we call the methylation cycle. So the methylation cycle is a group of biochemical pathways that work together to support our DNA, our proteins, our hormonal synthesis, our brain chemicals, our detoxification. And so the folate that we get from methylfolate is a linchpin in getting this this pathway started and supporting it. And that's why we look at it first, but we certainly don't look at it in isolation. Right, yeah. So if yeah. someone comes in, for example, with the MTHFR gene, and let's say they've had miscarriages before, so we won't just say, oh, well, you've got the MTHFR gene, we will just give you methylfolate and all will be good. We say, okay, There's obviously some factors that are going on with your methylation cycle, but we need to consider perhaps a gamut of other genes that are integrally important when it comes to preconception and pregnancy. Or we do a detailed case history and we say, okay, by doing that, we can understand that certain pathways are under-functioning because we know that by now, and we can support the general methylation cycle that will improve DNA synthesis, increase their protein synthesis, perhaps increase their antioxidant capacity. Because when we're talking about preconception, the health of the cell, whether that's the egg or the sperm, is critically important. Mm -hmm. So even looking at cellular membrane health, mitochondrial health, and folate is really that icing on the cake. Because if you have suboptimal folate, then the methylation cycle is going to be compromised. So we certainly don't look at it in isolation, but the first instance we do it because A, it is the one that is the most well-known, and B, if you're homozygous, then that's the first thing I'd be asking. Okay, what is going on? Is there, and it's important, Alex, that people understand just because you have a gene mutation, it may not need mean you have any problem whatsoever. Mm. However, you obviously controlled your environment to minimise the effects without even knowing that you had it. And what we see in a lot of people who are homozygous is they've done exactly that. Yeah, I'm addicted to green leaves. I cannot get enough of them. I remember when I was pregnant, one of my favourite things to do would just be to open one of those frozen packets of spinach, chuck it in the saucepan with some butter and defrost it and I would literally eat a pile of spinach for lunch and I just don't think that there's anything more indicative of going with your instinct than doing things like that. Exactly. It's very intuitive and I think, you know, we there are so many different factors now that come into play and I have some people who they can't work, they can't go out and see friends They can't eat anything that isn't made by themselves. They have to stay in their houses because this protective mechanism is all that's keeping them from falling apart. And we don't want that. We want people to be able to have a life. And so when you adjust some of these issues that they've got and you improve some of the methylation cycle, because the methylation cycle is integral to your biochemistry, And so we have to work with it. We have to ensure that it's working optimally to get these people better. And we don't just see people who have, you know, gut dysfunction. We have people that can't get out of bed or have multiple chemical sensitivities and they can't leave the house or have had seven miscarriages or are so depressed they're on five or six antidepressants. You know, we're, we're looking at people who are very, very chronically ill. It's just heartbreaking, especially when it doesn't need to be that way. And so, you know, you mentioned obviously having issues with methylation and needing to support methylation, but there's over-methylators and under-methylators. Can you talk to us about what those two things might present as, how we might know we are one or the other? Yes. Look, I I don't really like 
the terminology over methylator because I actually don't think it's a, there's any such thing. What oh, I okay. Think, Interesting. Well, what, what I think the problem is is not that you're creating too many methyls. Mm-hmm. It's that you're not using them. Ah, so I think yeah, got plenty it. of people. So I think it's more underutilization than it is overmethylation. Mm-hmm. So I think plenty of people make methyls, but the problem is there are other parts of the pathway that are putting a block in their ability to utilize them. So they build up and therefore they have the side effects. Then I think you have what's called undermethylators, but I really think they're the people like the MTHFR homozygous that really have the trouble in trying to create methyls in the first place. Right. Great. Great explanation. Love it. And so when you mentioned the side effects, what are some of these side effects? Oh, well, if, if someone, and this is part of the problem too, we, we, um, we've developed our own products which sort of put, put in almost like a three-step process whereby you don't go straight into methylfolate because I really believe, A, you've got to have B12 in place mm-hmm. and B, you've got to have all the, the cofactors in place. So you want to start with a B that has B1, 2, 3, 5 and 6, no methylfolate because you need the pathways to be supported before you introduce methylfolate because some people get, they might get headaches, they might get muscle aches and pains or rashes or increase in anxiety or decrease in mood significantly to the point where we've had people ring the clinic who are suicidal because Mm -hmm. someone has said, oh, yeah, just take five milligrams of methylfolate, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Well, it's sent them into suicidal depression. So, you can't just willy-nilly take multiple doses without knowing what you're doing. And in fact, I've got a webinar if anyone's interested next week. It's a free webinar for anyone that wants to listen on if you're not seeing a practitioner, how do you actually start supplementing with products to support an MTHFR gene? Mm. I really think we've got to give guidance because there's too many people Googling or going in. and Self-medicating, yeah. Yes, and and. For methylfolate, there can be very significant side effects and people need to be aware of what they are. Yeah. And depression and suicidal thoughts are very high on the list. Right. And so you say start with the 1, 2, 3, 5 and 6. Mm. To, and what does starting there do? So it will give all the cofactors that you need to support that folate move through the methylation cycle. So, for example, B2 is the cofactor for the MTHFR gene, but it has to be used at therapeutic doses to stabilise the MTHFR gene. So that MTHFR enzyme that creates methylfolate will work better if it has B2 as the cofactor. So a lot of people are deficient in B2, and if they're taking antidepressants, that can actually reduce B2 levels. If they've got gut function issues, it could be reducing B2 levels. So there are many factors in play that reduce the nutrients needed to use your methylfolate. So we think it's much better to put those nutrients in first before you start putting in methylfolate. Makes complete sense. Yeah. And then how long, like how do you know that people are ready to then move on to the next step of including methylfolate? So what we normally say is B12, number one, because B12 is so significant in you can, if you do not have enough B12 in the system, you can't use your methylfolate, right? It's impossible. It does not get absorbed. Now think of how many people, number one, on proton pump uh, inhibitors or antacids that decrease B12 levels, how many people are on drugs like the oral contraceptive pill that reduces B12 levels? How many people have gut dysfunction or low hydrochloric acid that reduces B12 levels? How many people over the age of 50 are trying to use supplements and normally their hydrochloric acid will be low? Because B12 absorption is all about your gut function. So you need obviously hydrochloric acid to get it out of your protein You then need intrinsic factor on the gut wall to absorb it. You need what we call transcobalamins to move it through the system. And then you need pancreatic enzymes for absorption. So it's all about gut. And I think 
I really believe that 90% of the population are deficient in B12. And so I think it's an endemic situation that we've got. And I think our reference ranges in Australia, when we go to our normal blood pathology labs, are way, way too low. Uh, Japan upped their reference ranges to 600 to be the minimum. And we're saying 135 is acceptable. Oh, wow. So 135 is the lower limit. But I think if someone has a vitamin B12 of 135, they're already showing neurological symptoms and possibly um, irreversible neurological symptoms at that that level. So B12 is number one. So we say, right, first thing you do, put some B12 in. And there's really no toxicity level for B12. So I'm not afraid if B12 gets too high. Mm -hmm. I think vegans and vegetarians are particularly at risk because they're not getting B12. And I think if you are a vegan or vegetarian, you absolutely have to be supplementing. And one of the things I'll be going through the webinar next week is how do you actually choose which form of B12 is the right form? Yeah, because there are many, right? Correct. And given this will be airing probably just after your webinar in uh, about four weeks. Oh, well, um, they can get the download. Yeah, they'll be able to get the download, I was just about to say. So one that I know we should avoid is the cyanocobalamin. Can you explain why? Yes, because it's mm. it's exactly like folic acid. Yeah. It's a synthetic man-made form and it's not biologically active in the body unless your body can use it. So why wouldn't you use the two active forms? So the way that B12 works is you have hydroxocobalamin, which is the precursor to your two active B12s. Your neurological or your brain B12 is methyl B12. Mm-hmm. And your energy B12, your mitochondrial B12, is a denosyl B12. So hydroxy acts as a precursor and it can be formed into either depending on what the body really needs. And then you have methyl and adenosyl. So you put your B12 in place and at the same time you support all the other parts of the, the pathway with your other, other Bs. <clears throat> so we know um, that... You know, for example, to to make homocysteine, you need B3. To support MTHFR, you need B2. Um, You know, there are so many different parts of this pathway that need the other Bs. And then we say, you asked how long. So we say, all right, you do that for about three, maybe four weeks. And then very slowly you put in minute doses of methyl folate. And you see how you go. But when I say minute, I'm talking about 100 micrograms, not 400 and 800 and one milligram like some people are doing, because I think that's when you get the side effects. Interesting. And I think it all just comes back to two things for me here. One is we really do need naturopathic or uh, a doctor who's trained in methylation support when we know we have these issues because of the side effects that can occur if we take things too far, take too much, don't take enough of, etc. And we're just we're just average everyday people. It's important that you are guided by someone who really knows their stuff. And B, do not, pardon the pun there on the B, but do not buy cheap commercial supplements uh, from, you know, discount chemists, etc. Because so often, almost always, they're using the cheap synthetic versions of things. And you might think, oh, I'm getting a great deal on my B12. But unfortunately, your body's not going to be getting a great deal. And it could actually be harmful. So it's really important, you know, to make that investment. And you'll probably be spending less in the fact that you'll be getting it right the first time. Yes, well, we've ours is a practitioner only product. However, if you know in the bigger pharmacies where they have the nutritionists and naturopaths, we're allowed to have ours in there. Oh, and that's ours, great! Yeah, yeah. And ours yeah. are no more expensive. In fact, a lot of the time they're just about the same price as a normal retail. So you need, and we've got no excipients at all because we know people with MTHFR issues can be very sensitive to additional additives and magnesium stearate and things like that so you know in our starter b product we have nothing but the capsule and a bit of a scoville palmitate which is vitamin c Mm. so you know i think also when you're considering any vitamin any supplement people with mthfr are very very sensitive and so if their detoxification capacity is reduced they can react to the capsule 
You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. So, so I think the purer you can, purer something is, the better. And that's why I also like to do things sometimes as single nutrients so that you can test what someone is reacting to. And you're right, this is very complicated. Well, it doesn't have to be complicated if you do it properly, but it's not great for people to be taking large amounts of methyl unsupported by a practitioner because I've seen potential issues with severe, severe depression. And it's not uncommon for us to get, you know, a phone call once a week for us to help someone who's suicidal because of taking the wrong supplement. So yeah, I think it's much better that people work with practitioners. That's our absolute ideal. And we would always say that. But you know what, Alex, a lot of people can't afford to. And my thought is, you know, we have to be giving some guidance. And we can't just always say, you've got to go to a practitioner because in reality that's not what people are doing. Mm. You know, they're listening to you, they're Googling, they're trying to help themselves because either funds are low or they're not in a position to, you know, spend money on going to a naturopath or a, or a doctor. And I think that's really sad. I think it's a real indictment on our whole health system. You know, if we could actually give preventative consults how many people would we keep away from doctors' surgeries or hospitals? Yeah. It would be so good. It would be so good. Imagine preventative education in the school system. Oh, so <laughs> I, I'm just putting that. I know, same. I'm just putting it out there as a, you know, if you don't put it out there, it can't be a reality. So there you go. That's right. Oh, it's, yeah. I, would, I would love to do that because, you know, I see a lot of kids in these, you know, private schools who it, and it starts with eating, right? So these, and I'll, I won't single anyone out, but you start with, you know, these girls who are sort of 13, 14, and they, they want to go into, they want to look good. And so they say, well, I'm going to go on a diet because, you know, I might have a bit of weight that I'm carrying. And so they start to reduce their protein. And then someone says, well, I've become a vegetarian. And someone says, well, I've become a vegan. And so all of a sudden, this, it, it then goes into this eating disorder that I'm sure is decreasing their B12 and their B vitamins to such a point they get into this neurological, psychological, not quite depression, but almost this eating disorder. And I see it time and time again. And I think it's because we're not counseling our kids on how to have a good diet. Mm. I'm not a fan of vegans or vegetarians or any radical diet. I think we need to have moderation. I think we need to have a little bit of everything and not too much of anything. I think we do need to be as pure in our diet as we possibly can. Lots of leafy greens. We need to be eating good quality protein. We need to be not eating out of packets. We need to be you know, limit alcohol, limit everything and just have a bit of everything. But I not having said that, I do definitely put people on restricted diets at times depending on what their presentation is. But I think our kids are not being taught this is not the good a good thing to do. Mm. If you, and if you decide you want to be a vegan and a vegetarian, fine, but you have to be supplementing. Because there's no amount of vegetables that you can eat to get B12. And therefore, straight away, you have affected your absorption of folate, which is the most important thing for a woman at any stage of life. Yeah, well, I think that's really well said. And, you know, it's not that you can't have a dietary preference, but to be mindful of what that dietary preference then means you need support in is so, so important. Exactly. Mm. So on diet, while we're here, I'm curious to know your thoughts on, you know, it seems like everyone's having to go everything free these days, low histamine, no salicylate, FODMAPs, yada, yada. And what do you feel has brought this on so strongly in this generation, probably ours as we get older, um, but also in our kids in alarming rates? I think it is gut dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And, okay, so we say, well, what does that mean? Well, if you look at the work that Stephanie Seneff has done on glyphosate. Oh, she's fabulous, isn't she? Yeah. yeah, You know, there is absolutely no question 
Now, glyphosate, for those of, of your listeners that don't know, is Roundup, basically, and it's being used across the US and across Australia as a pesticide on genetically modified foods. So what they do is they spray the crops with the glyphosate so they don't get the bugs. But the problem is the more you spray it, the more you need to use. And so what glyphosate, what Stephanie Seneff, who is a researcher in the US, what she has identified is that glyphosate is inhibiting phase two liver detoxification. And therefore, we are becoming more susceptible if we don't have phase two liver detoxification working for us, we cannot eliminate from the body these toxins that are coming in from our environment. That, now, that could be our hormones. It could be pollutants in the air. It could be, you know, obviously the pesticides. It could be a whole lot of different things. Now, oxalates, that oxalate pathway is also the same pathway that glyphosate is broken down in mm. and what oxalates do is they bind to b6 they bind to iron and they bind to zinc and make it unavailable for the body we also know that glyphosate will reduce manganese levels it will reduce glycine levels so it's reducing key nutrients that is not only affecting our dna but also affecting our gut so our gut depends on good microbes and good bacteria. And when we have, so they originally said that Roundup was not an issue because it did not affect the microbiome of our gut. What it does is it affects what we call the shikimate pathway in plants. But the problem is that that shikimate pathway is a crucial part of, of feeding the good bugs in our digestive system. So we're getting this shift in microbiota that is affecting the way our gut absorbs nutrients. It's affecting our, our liver detoxification. We've got too much impact on our liver detoxification. And I think it's a combination of a lot of these things. So for example, if someone has not good bacteria, they're going to get an overwhelming lot of bad bacteria. And, and as naturopaths and, and integrative doctors, we are seeing people inundated with blastocystis and Klebsiella and these bacteria that are really resistant. We can't, it's taking a long time to get rid of it and it's shifting the good flora. And what the microbiome study is showing us is that it's that fine line between the different level of microbiota that is actually driving our health. For example, if we go on a ketogenic diet, we are actually shifting key phyla within our microbiome negatively because we need good amounts of fiber in there to make sure that we've got propionic acid and butyric acid and all these short chain fatty acids that support our good gut function. So it's wow. So you're not a fan of the ketogenic diet? Oh, I am. But I think you have to be really, again, you have to be really aware that it is having an impact on your your gut and you have to make, make up for it. Right. So yeah. by giving prebiotics, you know, with it are, is going to be really important. And there's no question that the, the ketogenic diet from a, a medical standpoint is probably going to be seen as a complete breakthrough in terms of chronic illness and disease because we're seeing amazing studies coming out about reducing diabetes, your propensity to develop cancer, brain function, glucose metabolism. I mean, it's it's really quite profound what mm. the ketogenic diet do. But I do think we need to keep in mind that we've got to feed our good microbiota and so we need probably more prebiotics if we we're using a ketogenic diet interesting that's very interesting and again it just comes down to if you're choosing something for either therapeutic or preferential reasons it's important to have a look at the big picture and see what effects that dietary choice is going to have absolutely and i think you know if we're again saying that diet is really key the most important thing for parents to ensure is that what their kids are eating is 
non-genetically modified, as organic as they can afford, and you're you're cooking things at home yourself. Yeah. You know, it sounds very basic, but you have to get back to basics when you're talking about, you know, you are I really firmly believe you are what you eat. And so if we can eliminate a lot of these environmental toxins by keeping a fairly clean diet and a good what I call a naturopathic diet, then that's really important. But bugs in the gut, for example, will reduce the the enzyme in the gut that breaks histamine down. And that's why I think so many people have reactions to histamine now because we've got this propensity to have a lot of bugs in the gut that are actually destroying or reducing the enzyme that breaks histamine down. Mm. You talk about salicylates and FODMAPs. I think personally, I think that's a real issue with what one area of the methylation cycle that we call the CBS or cystathione beta synthase pathway. I think that is really that part of the pathway not working optimally because I see once we improve that, people don't have to go on a no salicylate FODMAP, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I see certain parts of the pathway that give me an idea as to if I fix that, then they can go back to a normal diet. Mm. And I think, you know, it's it's sometimes important to remove things to get comfort and quality of life at that time in your life, but to not take a step deeper and see why it's happening in the first place means you're literally having to change the way you eat forever. And I think, you know, that can have impact socially and therefore on your mental health. And it's really important that we treat root cause rather than trying to, you know, fan smoke around, get to the fire. Exactly. And Mm. I think 99% of all these food sensitivities are really related to gut function. And if you improve the, the gut function, you should be able to approve the diversity of the food that's eaten. And there's a really good book that's just been written by a guy in the U- US called Eat Wheat. And oh, yeah. it's it sounds crazy. but That's what a catchy it, title. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's really good because what it does, uh, it sort of opens your mind up a bit, you know, because I think, you know, even as naturopaths we can say, you know, don't eat gluten, don't eat this, don't eat that. And, you know, I'm the first to to say, you know, really try and not eat gluten. And the reason I don't want people eating gluten is because I don't want them having folic acid because all commercial bread flour has to have folic acid. So if you find a little boutique bakery that does a great sourdough that doesn't have folic acid, I'm okay with that. But this book talks about, look, you know, we, we say don't eat wheat and we don't eat this and don't eat that. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of research to suggest that, you know, some of these grains are really important for our microbiota. As I said before, you know, we need that fiber, we need the nutrients. And so I think we have to be open minded. And if someone says to me, like some people have come in to me and said, I can only eat three foods, white rice beans and zucchini and you think oh that's ridiculous there's something really wrong here but I think the problem is they feel better say they reduce histamine and then they reduce gluten and then they reduce dairy and then and then and then and then and then and as you say you get to a, a diet where they can only eat three things it's crazy yeah in the short term I think yes you've got to take the load off the system and you've got to you've got to clear everything and then say right now let's see what we can start putting back in yeah absolutely and you should be able to expand the diet again otherwise your therapeutics are not working Mm. and when it comes to methylation pathways and digestion can you just clarify what the link is between the two right okay so your sulfur pathway is downstream of your cbs pathway right so got it So sulfur is at the very end of that chain. So if someone says to me, I'm on a FODMAP and I can't have any salicylates, the first thing I think is, you know what, you have a problem with your sulfur pathway. So what I do is I I use nutrients to suck up the sulfur and help improve sulfur metabolism. And then I say to them, now I want you to go back to eating onion and garlic and eggs and broccoli and cauliflower and cabbage, all the sulfur base. And they go, oh, my God, I can't. And I say, yes, you can. 
just try a little bit. Don't sit down and have five of those in one meal, but just try a little bit of onion and a little bit of leeks and a bit of broccoli. And they come back and go, oh my God, I can actually eat it now. So I think the different parts that you've got to be thinking, well, if someone says FODMAP and salicylate, what are they really saying? For me, they're saying I have a problem with sulfur. So the first question I ask is, can you eat onion, garlic, eggs, broccoli, cauliflower? And they go, oh, no, I never touch them. Well, straight away I know that that's a problem. Mm. If someone says, you know, I get I get really bloated or I have loose stools all the time, I'll either think sulfur or I'll think histamine. Mm-hmm. Now, histamine breakdown, HNMT, which is one of our histamine enzymes that breaks histamine down, relies on methyls. Mm. And so a lot of these really important enzymes that we need are methyl dependent. And that's why if we don't have enough methyls, they don't work like they should. So choline that you need for brain function and myelination of nerves is another enzyme that must have methyls to work. So if someone says to me, I feel like I'm getting Alzheimer's or I'm losing my memory and I can't remember where I parked my car or left my keys, I know straight away that their phosphatidylcholine is low because they haven't got enough methyls. So I will work at improving methyls and improving phosphatidylcholine production. And then I come back a few months later and they go, oh, my goodness, I don't have Alzheimer's. I feel really good. Wow. And yet we we just accept so many of these things as a getting older thing or, you know, I'm just not sharp as I used to be. And I just love that you've just probably given thousands of people hope in just that sentence alone. Oh, well, if someone mm. says to me, oh, I'm just getting old, I go, bull. Mm. Like, crap. That's, 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 no. You, I mean, if your biochemical pathways are working well, you should have the mental integrity right up until 100. You know, it's just that we have to make adjustments for getting old. We have to make adjustments for genetics. We have to make adjustments for our environment. So unfortunately now, the adjustments we we make now are 100 times more than our great-grandparents had to make because they don't have the toxicity at every level of A, the food chain and the environmental chain that we had. They Mm. didn't go to the supermarket. They made all their food. So I think, you know, getting back to really good practices can go a long way towards, you know, and how many of our grannies used to put lecithin in their muesli mix for breakfast? Yeah. Lecithin is phosphatidylcholine. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of these old practices that we go, oh, you know, they were silly. No, they weren't. They were really good practices and we've lost a lot of them. And I think we can learn a lot from the way that our grandparents ate and what they were and weren't exposed to and really just get back to good nutrition, avoiding crappy stuff, trying to make sure that we're not too stressed because I think that's the biggest issue with the reduction of methyls is the amount of stress people are under Mm -hmm. and sleep. Well, that's a beautiful summary, Carolyn. Thank you. It's a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) It's been such a joy chatting to you. I think there's been some really incredible information there. In the show notes today, we have a bucket of details about everything we just talked about in summary form, but also some of the resources that they have on the MTFHR support website. It's a really fantastic website for people who maybe have had that result or are maybe experiencing some symptoms that you kind of think you really should go get that test. Then make today the day that you start to get to the bottom of things because everything is possible once you realize a bit more about your DNA and your lifestyle and how it all melds together, which I think our chat today did so beautifully, you know, just talking about that diet intertwined with methylation methyls this particular gene uh, is just so important because we're not treating a snip as they're called we are treating a whole person who has a whole life and a whole lot of stuff going on in every day that all needs to be looked at and we all need to be aware of so thank you carolyn for your generosity of, of spirit and time i'm sure a lot of people are going to be connecting with your work and i will be sure to be speaking to you soon 
Thank you, Alex. It was great. Anytime. I love talking about it. As you can see, I'm not lost for a word. So no. um, I could talk to you about this for hours. So thanks for having me. And it was lovely being here to share this with your audience. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for joining me for today's show. Check out the show notes at lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast. And if you wanted to maybe share a quote and something that really jumped out for you, you can find us on Instagram at lowtoxlife or simply hashtag lowtoxlife across social media. I absolutely love bringing you the show. Thank you for any of the star ratings or one-line reviews that you guys have left. It helps me know what you've been loving and what you'd love to see more of. I'll see you next week. Jack Rabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.